Hi, I'm Bruce Bartow, the chaplain here at Kim Ray, and we are doing a series that I have called Foundations, and today we're going to look at another uh, lesson in that series, so let's jump in. So we're on week seven of our series, uh, I'm calling Foundations, and this um, particular lesson is going to be on faith in general, and talk a little bit about what that is and what it's not. Again, we're building on some earlier lessons. We talked about what God's doing, He's making us in His image, and in order to do that, we need to get to know Him in order to get to know what we're becoming, because He's making us to be like Him, uh, because in essence, our walk with him is based on what we're going to talk about this week, faith. And what is faith? Someone asked me recently, can you define that? It's kind of an abstract term in a way. Uh, well, to me, it's trust. It's just trusting someone. Well, it occurred to me along the way in my Christian life that we don't tend to trust people that we don't know, and that's true of God as well. So as we get to know God, our faith in God, our ability to trust him in the moment will increase and that gives us the best opportunity to, to do his will in any given moment when we trust him. All right, so you know we did talk about other things like the sin problem a week or so ago and the introduction of the law to show us that uh, being good enough on our own was just not possible as human beings. So let's talk about faith this week. Let's talk about trust. What does it mean to trust? Well, one of the things it doesn't mean is that we're having faith in faith itself. You know, I've heard the term, uh, the statement all my life just about where it says, or someone will say to me, uh, well, just have faith. Well, it's important that we have faith in something particular, uh, something that's faithful. We want to have faith in the faithful one, not in faith itself. Let me tell you what I mean by that. You know, if, I'm, if I approach a bridge and I, I'm thinking about crossing that bridge to the other side of the ravine or the, or the valley or whatever it is, over some water maybe, well, I have to first believe that the bridge is going to hold me up if I'm going to cross the bridge. But crossing the bridge will only hold me up if the bridge is able to hold me up. So if I trust an unfaithful bridge, I'm probably going to wind up in the water. And so God is asking us to trust him because he is faithful. And that is a, a theme that he reiterates over and over and over throughout Scripture, the fact that he's faithful, the fact that you can depend on him. He will never deviate from uh, his character. He will always do what is good for you and lead you in the path that's good for you, even if it doesn't look like it's good for you. And we'll talk about that some more. So let's talk a little bit more about the word faith itself. Um, you know, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. All right, so that's a mouthful. What does that mean? Well, the word hope in the Bible refers to an absolute confidence that something's going to happen. And in this context, it says we have absolute confidence that something is going to happen that we really can't see. Maybe we can't even visualize it in our mind. Uh, there's examples, a lot of those in, in the scripture where people were asked to trust God that he would do something that they'd never seen or heard of before. It was gonna be outrageous according to 
the human mind to consider that he would do this. We'll talk some more about that here in just a minute. So what is faith? Well, it's trusting God and obeying him. Those two ideas are always connected. You know, it says about the people who didn't go into the promised land, they disobeyed so that they see that they did not have faith. Um, that they, that the two things were connected. If I don't trust something, I won't do it. If I believe the chair is going to collapse, I won't sit on it. I don't trust it. Okay. And that's true of our relationship with God. At one point in Jesus' ministry, you know, he had fed these 5,000 men besides the women and children. So there's probably 15,000 people there. He fed with five loaves and two fish. And they followed him. They caught, him, caught up with him on the other side of the sea there of Galilee. And they said, hey, uh, you know, we, Jesus, when did you get here? And he said, you guys aren't following me because you saw miracles and you believed. Uh, you just ate the loaves and were filled. What he said to them was, you're just here for another meal. And then he said something. He said, don't work for the works uh, that perish, but work for the works that last for eternal life. Okay, and they said, well, what must, what must we do that we may work the works of God? Well, in John 6, 29, Jesus answered them and said, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So oddly enough, the only work he's asking us to do is trust him. And that's not really work. It's just trusting the one who does work, the one who is faithful, uh, because his faithfulness will not let us down, even when it looks like it does. And that's been the, the hard part for me in my Christian life and has been for most people. And all throughout Scripture, uh, people were saying, Lord, what in the world is going on here? Why are, they, why are this enemy seemingly taking over our country? And God has a plan, though, and he's working that, and it is for good. And we'll talk about the prime example of that right now, which was Jesus Christ himself. In Matthew 6, 29, the Bible tells us that in the Garden of Gethsemane, here's what it says. And he went a little beyond them, his disciples, and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Okay, so what he's saying is, Father, I will trust you even though the path it looks like you're leading me down is not good for me. He knew what was going to happen. He knew about the crucifixion and the beatings and the scourging and the crown of thorns and all that stuff that was coming his way. And the interesting thing was Jesus didn't have a rotten, stinking will. He didn't have a sinful will. He didn't say, not my sinful, flesh-driven will, but your holy will be done. He says, not my holy will, but your holy will be done. He trusted his father so implicitly, so perfectly, that even when the path looked like it was the worst for him, he knew that his father would not do anything but what was best for him and everybody else. And so he said, not my will, but your will be done. And that is faith. You know, Hebrews 12 tells us, uh, look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And what was the joy set in front of him? Well, doing his Father's will, which was providing salvation for us. So we could say the joy set before him was you and me. He came to provide salvation for us. So what looked bad for him was ultimately his joy and ultimately good for us as well. So that's what faith is. It's trusting God to the point that our actions actually represent what we believe. That's obedience. 
So what is, what is faith not? <laughs> what is it not? Well, it's not a way to manipulate God and get him to do our will. Now, people would never say, well, I'm not trying to manipulate God, but in our, in our mind, in our heart, in our emotions, we come up with what feels like would be the best for us. Almost like Jesus said, I think it's best I don't go to the cross. But if you want me to go to the cross, I'll go to the cross. So faith is not, if, if, if we have enough faith, then God will do it our way. It doesn't work that way. Because God only does what he knows is best. I've heard people even use the verse where if you get two or three to agree on something, God will do it. So you get two or three people to agree with you. Well, if the two or three of you agree that God needs to do something he doesn't want to do, he's not going to do it because he will only do what is good and right and lovely and excellent and worthy of praise and those kind of things. In 1 Timothy 6, 20 and 21, Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have, have professed and have thus gone, as, gone astray from faith grace be with you. All right, so he's saying, you know, just because a lot of chatter going on around you about what is good and what is right and what surely God would want you to do this or not want you to do that, you know, Paul, when he was headed toward Jerusalem, or excuse me, toward Rome, they kept telling him, don't go there, they're going to kill you. Well, he said, I got to go. That's where God's taking me. And so sometimes the, the input of those around us is not necessarily what God is saying to us. And God wants us to trust him and do what he's leading us to do. And so just because they sound right doesn't mean necessarily that they are right. So we want to avoid those things um, so we don't get led astray as well. In 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, it says this, But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. Now, that's a long list of, well, that really sounds bad, but the thing is, all those things can be dressed up to look kind of good. In uh, Jesus' day, the most outwardly godly-looking people were the Pharisees in, in Israel. But they, were, they had him brutally beaten and crucified, although they strutted around holding to a form of godliness. But they had denied its power, the power to trust God to the point that his will is done through us. Now, God used that, their brutality and their crucifixion of Christ to pay for our sins. Um, but that doesn't mean that their motive was good and that they did um, something that honored God. God used it. He's just bigger than that. All right, so looking for public opinion to give us an idea of godly actions is not always a good thing to do. And we'll talk a little bit about how others contribute to our faith here in just a minute. You know, there's some examples of faith in Hebrews 11. Abel. He offered a better sacrifice in his blood. The Bible says even speaks today that his, his sacrifice was acceptable to God. Now, God didn't accept sacrifices based on what the sacrifice was because the law hadn't even been given yet. He always looks at the heart 
always looks at the motive. So God saw something different in Abel's heart than what he saw in Cain's heart. And he accepted Abel's sacrifice and rejected Cain's. Enoch, the seventh generation from, from Adam, walked with God and he was not for God took him. But he had this, this testimony, according to Hebrews 11, that he was pleasing to God. And we know that God, the Bible says that God isn't pleased with anybody unless they have faith. So without faith, it's impossible to please God. Noah, he was an example. Um, that was the point in history when God said the heart of man was only, every thought of a man's heart was only evil continually. But he saw this Noah guy and he said, I, I like him. He really trusts me. He has faith in me. And he asked him to build an ark. So his actions showed his faith in God. He built an ark. It took him 120 years and put a bunch of animals in it and the rains came and we can read the rest of the story there. In Genesis, there's this guy Abraham. He lived in, he's actually called Abram in his early life. He lived in Ur of the Chaldees, a pagan culture, but he worshiped God and God called him out. And he said, okay, I'll go. I don't know where I'm going, but I'll just trust you to lead me. So his actions showed his faith. And when he trusted God that he would have a child later after trying to make one himself and all that. And then he, he trusted God to the point that he would even sacrifice that child. So his actions showed that his faith in God was bigger than what he could see around him and what maybe the input of other people would be in circumstances like that. Sarah, his wife, was considered a woman of faith. You know, at one point she laughed at God when God said, you're going to have a child. Uh, and she even denied it. I didn't laugh. And he said, oh, yes, you did. I heard you. <laughs> um, but the Bible says that she was a woman of faith because even though she was old and couldn't have children, she trusted God and she did have a child. And he became Isaac the child of promise through whom the, the world, uh, God's promises to the world would be fulfilled. There's others, you know, not beyond Sarah, there was Moses, there was Rahab, you know, she was a harlot, and but she trusted God, so it wasn't her actions that made her acceptable to God, it was her faith, just like I said, it says Abraham believed God and it was reckoned unto him as righteousness. Well, the same thing was true of Rahab, the harlot, we, we know her, and we also realize, if we go back and read the scripture, that she was a great, 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 great something grandmother of Jesus himself. She was in the lineage of Christ. She was accepted and brought into uh, the family, that lineage that brought, eventually brought Christ to the world. Uh, there were many more, it says in Hebrews 11, some of whom the world was not even worthy, and maybe some of them were even killed. Their, their faith didn't turn out the way they wanted it to, but they trusted God even in the face of death. Because uh, faith without works is dead. You know, when we trust God, it will lead us to live a certain way. So, but the focus should be on knowing God, not living a certain way. Because living a certain way that pleases God out of faith is the result of knowing God. It's not the other way around. We don't get to know God if we live right. We actually live right as we get to know God. Uh, that comes first. There was examples of faithfulness. Um, outward display of inward trust is what I think of as faithfulness. Uh, the prophets, most of them were killed because they preached the gospel. They preached the word of God, whatever he told them to say. But they were faithful anyway. Uh, there was Daniel, got tossed in the lion's den. Uh, because he refused to pray only to Nebuchadnezzar. There was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They refused to worship the idol that the king had set up, and they were tossed in the fire. Now, they got delivered. There wasn't even a smell of smoke when they came out, and there was a fourth one in the fire. The king said, I see walking around like the Son of God, and uh, so Jesus protected them in the fire. 
Uh, Hebrews 10, 34 tells us this. He's writing to the people in this book, and he reminds these people he's writing to of something. He says, you showed sympathy to prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. So he's reminding the people, the writer of Hebrews is reminding the people he's writing to that their faith led them to do something kind of outrageous, to even rejoice when their property was seized because it was being taken away from them because they were Christians and they were being plundered. And the prisoners that they were taking care of were probably people who were in prison because of their faith in Christ. Uh, their actions led to, um, th their actions was a picture of their faith. It showed that they had faith in God, that even when things happened to them, they took it with joy. Similar to Christ, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. All right, so this is one section I want to go into now. I call allies of faith. You know, what helps us in our faith? Are there things out there that, that, that encourage us in our walk of faith? Well, God's word is a huge one. Uh, he has given us his word, and we can trust what he says because we can trust the one who said it. Now, it takes a while for us to learn what God is like, so we'll put his meaning on his word rather than somebody else's meaning on his word. That's just a growth process. The more you get to know God, the more his word is understandable based on his character and not somebody else's. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So the, the word of God, energized by the written word, energized by the living word, the Holy Spirit, helps us actually get down and sort out our thoughts and intentions, our emotions, the soul and the spirit. What's really going on here? Why do I think the way I think? Why do I feel the way I feel? How do I deal with those feelings and emotions and choose the right path even though part of me is crying to go the other way, even as Christ did in the Garden of Gethsemane? Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the more we hear the word of God, not just the written page, which we can trust because God gave it to us, but the, the, the teaching the Holy Spirit gives us to help us understand that. Because the more you read, the more you're actually getting to know God because he's revealing his character there. And the more you get to know God, the more you trust God. The more you trust God, the more you obey God and live life the way he intended us to live. And I call that conformity to Christ in real time. You know, if I'm conformed to Christ by new birth, if I'm living a life that testifies to that conformity to Christ, that's real time, that's right now. The words coming out of my mouth to my wife, to my friends, my coworkers, to my children, whoever, those words are reflecting what's becoming real to me as I learn to know God and trust him. Okay, so I, come, I call that conformity to Christ in real time. I'm being conformed, you know, by new birth, I was given his nature, but by intimacy and relationship, I'm learning to walk with him in, in a relationship of faith. And so we walk by faith and not by sight, trusting God in the moment each day so that what you see and hear is what he wants me to do and what he wants me to say. And that's a joy to be able to do that. Uh, and we give glory to him whenever that happens. We can't take that to ourselves. 
Another ally of faith is people of faith. Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and consider the result of their conduct and imitate their faith. Okay, not imitate as in, I'm just going to follow around and do what he does. Imitate their faith. Imitate the way they trust God. Well, how do they trust God? Well, they've gotten to know him to the point that when they live their life, I'm seeing Christ live. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Okay, so I'm seeing that. So when you imitate someone's faith, I think it means to imitate their passion to know God to the point that your life will also reflect the nature and the character and the, the activity of God in what you say and do. Another ally of faith, which is profound, is God himself, the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, when the Spirit comes, he'll be with you and in you forever. I'm sending to you. He actually told the disciples, it's to your advantage that I go away, because if I don't go away, the, the Comforter will not come. But if I go away, I'll send him to you. So he said, it's better to have the Spirit in you than to have Jesus standing beside you. So that's a huge ally. And it says this, John 16, 13, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. All right, the truth of what God is doing, the truth of what God is seeing, the truth of what God is leading me to do, the truth of what he means by what he says, so that my life will be based on trusting that, trusting what he says, trusting what he has shown me. Even though the world around me is screaming, don't go that way. Even though my own emotions may be screaming, I don't want to do that. You know, Jesus sweat drops of blood that night. But he chose to go anyway because he trusted his father. So he will tell us of the trustworthiness of God. When the spirit comes, he will tell us of the trustworthiness of God. And we'll talk a lot about more of these next section in the future. But the last point is the enemies of faith. We have the world system. We have Satan. Um, we have sin and the flesh and those things. We will talk about those in weeks to come. But we do have enemies of faith, things that tend to lead us away. Um, he tells us, don't let anyone deceive us. Um, in his day, Jesus said, you know, the devil's a liar and the father of all lies in John chapter 8. And he says he's also the God of this world. So the world system is an enemy of faith. It's leading us to trust something other than what God says and who God is. But through birth and as we grow in maturity, we will begin to obey God and walk with Him in faith. Well, God bless you, and I will see you next time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your consistency and faithfulness. Thank you that you're drawing us into that intimate relationship with you where we learn to know you and trust you and walk with you in a way that honors you. We pray in Christ's name.